Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our reading from the Hebrew Scriptures this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp the grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the Holy Way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The word of our Lord. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come. God with us, draw close. And open our hearts to your stirring. What a privilege it is to come into the presence of your word, uh, to hear it, to hear your call to embody it. And so God, we pray now that my words would be faithful to you, that anything I say that is unfaithful, let it fall away. But if we hear your voice this morning, don't let us harden our hearts. Instead, open us up to a more daring following. Pray in the name of Jesus who calls us. Your word made flesh. Amen. So I got to uh, be on a podcast this week, uh, which is always kind of fun. Some of my friends are exploring, uh, are, are doing, working on a project that explores um, vocation and call. This idea that uh, God has equipped each of us uh, for particular work in the world. Now, in some circles, vocation, this kind of fancy word, uh, gets kind of limited to religious roles or sometimes folks like 
doctors and nurses and teachers, you know, the kinds of jobs where you can really tell if someone is uh, in it because they sort of have to be, right? Like, like they're meant to do this thing and you can really tell if someone's doing it and they're not really meant to do this thing. I, I prefer to expand the idea of vocation. Um, I, I like Frederick Buechner's idea of vocation where he, he says that vocation is where our deep joy meets the world's deep needs where our deep joy meets the world's deep needs, which may or may not be how we make money. <laughs> it might be, you might be lucky, but it might not be. And, and I think this leads us to something kind of fundamentally true about us, that we are, as Paul says, God's, God's handiwork, that we are made for good works in the world. Each of us is made with passion and purpose to reflect the nature and character of God in this world, in whatever we do. And each of us has particular gifts for that. We don't all have to be good at the same thing. That wouldn't reflect the nature and character of the God who made this marvelously diverse world we live in. And, and most importantly, I think as Christians, our primary vocation, our first call, is to love God and our neighbors with everything we've got. Right? That's how we most accurately reflect God's nature and character in the world. I've always loved the first line of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I've used it here before a number of times but uh, and if you don't know what this is it's a sort of uh, question and answer training tool for the church and the first question you would say what is the chief end of humanity and I would respond the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy God forever to glorify God and enjoy God forever and if we'll start there, I think then we'll be kind of on the right path, that we'll be walking on this road where, as Isaiah so delicately puts it, even fools won't get lost, <laughs> right? And it'll make it possible for us to pay attention to that particular call that God has for each of us, that particular way that God made you, made you to participate in God's work in the world. And then not only to pay attention to that call, but to actually do it, right? And for me, that led to the work of ordained pastoral ministry and my friends on this podcast wanted to talk about that, but as I talked about my, my, uh, how I ended up in seminary, which was a bit of a surprise to me as much as anyone at the time, I, it's not what I had planned for myself. I actually apologized to Kate when I <laughs> told her I had to go to seminary after she'd already agreed to marry me, um, which is a good strategy, frankly. <laughs> and the, the, as, I, as I traced the path that has led from that moment to this moment, you know, my friend noticed that at the significant times, the sort of turning points, they always seem to come back to this theme of trust, trust in, in God. Whether it was accepting that I was heading towards ministry in the first place or, or the sense of call I had to come to this place, which didn't make any sense on paper, uh, it, it was pretty clear that when significant things happened, I was in a season where I was paying attention to the character of God. I'm not always in that season. Sometimes I try to go it alone. But in those seasons where, uh, where, where significant turning points happened, I was paying attention to the character of God. And, and out of that attention, I was able to hear and trust what God was calling me to, even if it seemed completely nuts. And, and I'm willing to bet that, that each of you have, have similar sorts of experiences of feeling called towards something unexpected. Right? And whatever that thing is, and the only thing that pulls you forward is a sense of trust in the one who called you, even if you couldn't kind of name it that way at the time. Right? I wonder if you can think of a moment, a season, where you were learning to trust God a bit more. 
Maybe you're in that season right now. Maybe that's why you're here today. I think it's important to log those moments, those, the, the, to remember those seasons. And when you're ready to share them. I was talking with a group of lay worship leaders uh, recently about testimony, about sharing our story and the way we've known God at work in it. So we don't do that much in our tradition, at least not publicly. We tend to be a little more private about our spiritual experiences. But I, I think we're poorer for it. <laughs> Uh, for two reasons. I mean, the first reason is that it can be a real source of encouragement to others. Right? When we offer our stories honestly and vulnerably, not just to hear ourselves speak or to draw attention to ourselves, but to share what God has done, we help each other pay attention to God's work. A testimony is about pointing beyond ourselves uh, to the one who is faithful, to the one who does marvelous things, to the one who does more than we can ask or imagine. Maybe there's a God thing in your life that you've never shared with anyone. I'd love to hear about it, <laughs> even if it's weird. Maybe especially if it's weird. <laughs> or, or maybe it's just time that at the beginning of this new Christian year to do a bit of a spiritual inventory, a prayerful inventory, and notice where God's been at work in your life so far. Pay special attention. I, I think it's true that life is lived forward and understood backward, right? <laughs> You live forward and we, we understand backwards. So maybe you didn't even notice at the time, but maybe there was a time in your life when God was, was particularly at work. And the other reason that testimony, I think, is really important, we can encourage others, but I think it's important because it's an encouragement to us, to ourselves, right? When we share our experiences of God's work, of God's goodness and grace, of God's surprising presence in difficult times, of God's faithfulness and generosity, we, we start to articulate, we learn to speak about and attend to the truest conditions of our lives. And I think it's true, too, that sometimes we don't know something until we say it, right? You ever had that experience where you said something and suddenly you knew it in a new way? And at this point in the proceedings, you might be asking yourself, what on earth this has to do with Isaiah? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I think that that's part of what's going on in these passages that we've been spending time in in this season of Advent. I, Isaiah, over the, in the, all the passages we've read, has been regularly giving voice to a reality that he's come to know, not because it's obvious or self-evident. I mean, this passage, in, in my Bible anyways, we have these little like titles at the beginning of different sections, and this passage comes in between the judgment of the nations and Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, threatens Jerusalem. Judgment and, and threat on either side of this vision. I think it's appropriate to think of Isaiah preaching not in a beautiful chapel on the university endowment lands, uh, but maybe in a bombed out square in Kiev. I think that might be more accurate. He's preaching in a, a space that is uh, continuously under threat, uh, constantly uncertain. So he's not preaching what's obvious, but he's giving voice to a promise because he knows the one who's promised it. He's giving voice to a promise because he knows the one who's promised it. I think that when Isaiah preaches something like what we just heard, it's an overflow of a cultivated trust. He's been working on this, a cultivated trust in God's character. He's labored in prayer. He's spent time as a detective of divinity, as others have called it, in this world. A detective of divinity, seeking out the improbable places that God shows up. He's seen what God has done. He's paying attention to what God is doing, and because of that, he's come to trust in what God will do, what's the promise that will be. This is the God who makes promises and keeps them. 
Isaiah is seeing and he knows it. This is the promise, and this is the promise that's been made, that all things will be made new, that God is with us and for us, even though there are powers that rail against this reality, God wants a world of flourishing, a world that teems with life, a world of justice, and a world abundantly alive. With this God, the end is never death and destruction. With this God, the end is resurrection and life. And when we understand that, then we start to understand how we're meant to live. We catch a glimpse of our truest vocation. If God's going to get the world that God wants, if we can trust that, we can't always trust it, but I think we can trust it. (laughs) Or we don't always trust it, I think we can always trust it. Then we get to live towards it right now, for it right now. And this, is, this, Isaiah says, is how things are and will be when God gets what God wants. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. What seems dead and dried out and beyond hope will not be left that way. There's a gladness coming. Joy will resound. Crocuses everywhere, Isaiah sees. Even if all we can see at the moment is cracked and dry ground and sand for miles. The wilderness is a place of wandering and uncertainty, but it's going to give way to an unexpected beauty. There will be renewed strength and fear will flee. Where weariness threatens to grind us down, where our energy flags, there will be refreshing. We will not limp along forever, but will come alive in the presence of the God who is with us and for us. Here is your God, Isaiah says. Here is your God. Look and see. Remember the one who called and claimed you, who brought you out of bondage and into a new land. God will do it again. Brokenness and death will not wear. Our senses for God will be heightened. We'll see clearly. We'll hear heaven's songs of joy. Our tongues will be loosed to join in that song. What was burning and burdensome will give way to healing and comfort and peace. The sandstorms that have whipped around us will give way to cool breezes. And we'll know the way to go. We'll walk in holiness, Isaiah says, in a holy way, a holy highway. Holiness is not floating somewhere above the ground. It's feet on the ground, commitment to the reality that we are created with passion and purpose. Holiness is to be set apart for what God has done, is doing, and will do. And I love that when we're walking towards God, when we're growing towards God, when we're learning to love God and what God loves with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, there's a kind of certainty, not, not a sort of arrogance, but a kind of certainty. We can take a breath and delight and trust. You know, we don't have to neurotically discern every step. We don't have to pray about what we're going to have for dinner. Uh, we, we don't have to be bound up with anxiety about what to do next. But we'll cast off the stuff that binds and weighs down so that we can move freely as we're made to. Not even fools will get lost, which is the source of endless hope for me, personally. And finally, every tear will be wiped away. Sorrow and sighing will flee, run out of town by the ferocious love of God. That's the future that's coming, Isaiah says. That's the future that Mary sang. That's the future we catch a glimpse of in the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And it's what we see coming to life whenever the church leans into it, when we become that child. 
And again, this, this vision of God's promised future is surrounded by unfavorable circumstances, right? The world Isaiah inhabited is every bit as precarious and messed up as the one we hear about on the evening news. It all seems impossible given all the facts. And yet inv Isaiah invites us back into the presence of the one for whom nothing is impossible. This is the God who sets captives free and raises the dead, the one who's determined to renew and restore, the one who was faithful yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that is what's truest about God, about ourselves, and about this world. And the question that comes out of this for me, anyways, is which one, what will we let dictate how we live? Will we be tossed about by the uncertainty of the world? Or will we choose to walk that highway of freedom? Freedom not from the world, but, but for it. Will we allow ourselves to be bound by the circumstances we find ourselves in, good or bad? And I think the good circumstances can be as limiting as anything, right? If we make them the end of themselves, comfort can be as spiritually deadly as danger. Will we be bound or will we learn to move in the freedom of God, of God's love and faithfulness wherever we are? Isaiah invites us to live into our, our primary vocation, to live from that place where our deepest joy, the joy for which we are made, meets the deep needs of the world. And he invites us to rest secure in the knowledge that where our needs and our hurt and our worry and our weakness and our grief threaten to overwhelm any other possibility, the God who is faithful will be with us, walking with us through every slow mile in every uncertain valley, guiding us towards something new, healed and whole. And I wonder what that, this passage would look like for you. Right? What would it look like to let the promise of this passage have its way more and more in, in your life, in your classroom or your office, in your homes or your hobbies? Is there a relationship that's gone dry or even seems dead that you need the restoring, refreshing water of God's hope and peace and joy and love to flow into? Where do you need fresh clarity or a new word from God? Where do you need a new energy, a new strength? Where do you need this promise to pull you out of some despair, some hopelessness, to renew a sense of faith and trust? Where do you need as Peter says, to cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. And he is with us. I wonder if there's someone for whom you're being called by God to trust this stuff, to, to pray this stuff, to bring it to life. And I invite you to pray through this passage this week. And when I say that, I mean like, read it slowly, linger on the images and phrases, and when something pops up, talk to God about it. <laughs> Let God show you what God wants. Because this is meant to be lived, right? This is meant to find shape in our lives. This is not naive optimism. It's an embodied hope. If this is how things will be when God gets what God wants, how do we live towards it? And, and you know, I need the reminder of that question all the time. Because I'm pretty easily drawn into the grand vision, the big picture, but it's the little steps along the way that trip me up. I, I, I am good with the somewhere, someday, but there is no question that faithfulness to the one who joins us in the everyday, ordinary midst of life means doing the everyday, ordinary things that point to the goodness of God, to the hope that is ours. The word becomes flesh again and again. 
I've always liked Will Willimon's assertion that how we spend our time is a theological statement. <laughs> it also makes me squirm a little bit. And I think Isaiah would wholeheartedly agree, right? And I think that walking that road of holiness means hearing it not as a threat, but a promise. Right? How we spend our time, how we live our lives, can say something about who and how God is. And God is pleased to have it that way. The same God who is pleased to be magnified in the soul of a teenage girl from the sticks is pleased to be made known in and through us. God's pleased to let his kingdom be born in us and birthed out of us. I think maybe when we read Isaiah, when we hear Isaiah, I think we're meant to say with Mary, let it be with me according to your word, right? What's dead will blossom. Let it be with me according to your word. <coughs> Weakness will be made strong. Fear will be cast aside. Let it be with me according to your word. We'll see clearly, we'll hear heaven's song echoing in the world, we'll dance and sing along. Let it be with me according to your word. We'll walk a holy way. Let it be with me according to your word. We'll be set free from what binds us, from the sin that clings to us and keeps us believing that we are something less than the beloved children of God, that makes us doubt that there's anything that would separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Everlasting joy will cover us. Joy and gladness will be ours. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let it be with me according to your word. Let it be with me according to your word.